I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today. And today we have the amazing friend and memoirist, Quentin Vinny, joining us on the show. And having Quentin on the show, and he's going to talk about his book, Strong in the Broken Places, as well as his call to action call to action for the wellness community which you he will read in this episode and you can also find it on his Instagram page which is at Quentin Vinny. Yeah, but having Quentin on because he's written a book and writing another book really got us thinking about our own bookshelves and with everything happening with racial justice and the fact that this season of Inky Phoenix is dedicated to authors and books it was really a wake up call for us when we took a look at our bookshelves and really just grappled with how white it is. Yeah. How white because it is. Because we would regularly grapple with how male it is. Yes. Male dominated. And, and yet we were struggling or lacking the awareness and sitting in our privilege of not understanding how lacking in diversity yeah. our collection of books are because we have been under, I believe that, blanket of privilege where maybe certain books we would think weren't for us. Yeah. And I forget who used the phrase, not that it was one person, but I think what we've been trying to do is decolonize our bookshelves. Yes. (laughs) Because I think without it really raising to the level of consciousness where like I, I, the thought would pass through my mind and I actually interrogated the thought, what would happen would be, and you and I have talked about this, Catherine, walking into, let's say an airport bookstore and there might be a display of books with black female authors with stories and the, you know, the design on the cover might have a black couple or, you know, like a black children on it. And, honestly, the thought that would go through my mind without me interrogating it would be like, oh, those books aren't for me. Mm -hmm. And yet we expect all of this white literature to be for everyone. And I'm sure I've recommended Bel Canto by Ann Patchett. Super white book. To everybody, black and white. And assuming just like, oh, this is just a book. Versus when I would walk into that airport bookstore, I'd be like, oh, those are books for black people. Like this didn't rise to the level where I was like, whoa, why am I thinking that? But with everything going on in the world, I have been thinking about why mm-hmm. I considered books by books about white experience, right? Which I just thought was experience. Right. Because that's, that's, that, that was really hard for me to swallow, but it was yeah. very true. And even talking to people you know, who work in book publishing and, you know, there's the blackout. Yes. So, so there's the blackout, the list, which is already technically happened. And that was the, the, the publishing industry's, um, call to action to black out the bestseller list, the New York times bestseller list. And if you follow these kind of things, you probably have noticed within the past two to three weeks, the nonfiction New York times bestseller list has been astounding and it's almost all black educators. What I would like to see change is when you look on the fiction line, you're still only seeing one Brit Bennett, recently made the list, who yeah. wrote The Vanishing Act, uh, Vanishing Half, excuse me. Um, you are seeing a, a speckling of black authors, yeah. and I think what's very important, and I'm not saying that I don't think everyone should be reading their, you know, how to be an anti-racist and their black literature right now. You should learn from the black educators, but let's not forget fiction. Let's not forget that there are black artists, there are black storytellers. It's not just about educating 
um, from the racial yeah. experience, but just supporting black artists. And even more than that, getting to a place where black fiction is just fiction and the stories yes. aren't like, oh, that's a story about life from the black point of view. Right. It was like, oh no, every book has a point of view, but I've always thought like, and not consciously, right? Just like books about other white people was just, oh, these are stories. And the other ones are, oh, that's, um, that's from the, like the immigrant point of view, or mm -hmm. that's from the Asian American point of view versus being like, oh, that's just a story with a different point of view. I think that should be hopefully where we're I'm trying to you, move toward because I feel like it's going to take some time. So, yeah, honestly. so you know, we're so excited to have Quentin on, but I think for a lot of our listeners, you know, maybe many of you have already done this, look at your bookshelves and be like, Whoa, what, like who, what authors do I have? What stories do I consider the default versus what stories do I want to bring into that fold so that my own mind doesn't just play a white soundtrack and white right. stories all the time. And, you know, being that this is Pride Month as well, you know, that goes into LGBTQ issues as well, where, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm reading a gay book or I'm reading an LGBTQ romance book. You know, it's a romance book. It's not LGBTQ. I mean, yeah. it is a, if it's subgenre, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that Kate and I don't like it when people say we're in a gay marriage, we're in a marriage. It's just because we're a same sex couple doesn't mean that our marriage should be different than the heteronormative marriage that has just been what everyone sees as the norm. And so I do think that we're in a time with race and sex and gender and where we just, we need to put, push the reset button and we need to, when this is going to take some time to unlearn what we think is societally normal and what we think is for us and what we think is other. Yeah. And, um, that's personal work. I mean, listen, taking the time to listen to this podcast is part of the work. Listening to voices that are unlike your own or different from your experience is doing the work. And I know everyone is hearing this right now, but on a regular basis, yeah. not, not just LGBTQ because it's Pride Month, not just black and brown voices because of the movement that is happening right now, but a constant curiosity and desire to learn. Yeah. So last week we had Nicole Cardoza. Which show. if you haven't listened to that yep. episode, please listen to it. Um, Quentin was actually a unifying factor with Nicole Cardoza and I when the Yoga Journal uh, racist debacle. debacle happened. And he brought us together when he was working at Yoga Alliance to do a podcast, which never aired, which therein lies another massive problem within uh, wellness and media and how they need to change their ways. And for uh, uh, contractual reasons, Quentin was not allowed to speak about that, but he we, will speak to you about yeah. many amazing things. He's a fantastic friend, a fantastic author, memoirist, and gardener, and he has a budding tea empire that he is about to launch. So we're very excited to introduce you to our friend, Quentin Vinny. Quentin Benny is a celebrated wellness expert, speaker, mental health advocate, and the author of the memoir, Strong in the Broken Places. After years of struggling with poverty, anxiety, depression, and addiction on the streets of Baltimore, he set out on a journey to heal himself. Quentin is a wonderful friend of ours and an inspiration, and we are very excited to have him on our show. Woo! 
All right, we are joined with Quentin Vinny, the author of Strong and the Broken Places, but also one of my dear friends. And Quentin, it's really awesome to have you on the show. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Of course. We, so we were you know, just reviewing information on you, as we always do before we interview one of our guests. And Kate and I revisited your Mind Body Green revitalized speech. And that's how mm. Quentin and I originally met. That was in 2015. And we were both giving speeches at this event, which... I don't know about you, but I was like crazy nervous about, there was like a 15, 20 minute speech that I, and I was the last person to go up and I just like, I could have used some of the digestion tea that I know you're working on because my stomach was in knots the entire freaking time. And you went, I think you went the day before me and yeah. your speech was just so raw, so powerful. But the thing that really struck me while we were listening to it today was that you hadn't written your book yet when you were giving mm -hmm. that speech. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was curious, that speech, and everyone can look it up. It's on mindbodygreen.com. Um, if you just type in Quentin's name and revitalize, you'll be able to find it. Did writing that speech for Mind Body Green, was that a kind of a impetus or catalyst for the book? Or did that just help you along the way? I'm curious if those two were linked at all. The, the funny thing about it was that um, I had the idea that I wanted to write a book in mind because um, I even I even mentioned it in the speech. Right. Like, oh, I'm, I'm writing my first mm -hmm. book. Um, and and I wasn't, honestly, uh, I was <laughs> I was I was contemplating writing my first book. Um, I, I didn't think that sounded powerful in the speech, though. Uh, so, um, but what it did for me was it, it, it allowed me the space and opportunity to really channel how I felt, what I've experienced and how I wanted to explain that, right? Like how I wanted to showcase it, how I wanted it to show up, how I wanted it to impact the lives of people that, that read it. Um, you know, and so, yeah, it, it definitely served as a catalyst because, you know, I'm a naturally introverted, reclusive individual. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up like not believing that my life had much value. You know, I was told by teachers and administrators that it didn't. Right. Like they affirmed that for me. Right. So when I started telling my story, it, it, primarily writing for Mind Body Green, I didn't think anybody would respond to it. I didn't think anybody cared. I didn't think anybody would want to listen to this this black dude from Baltimore you know, talking about how life, how difficult life was, you know what I mean? Um, and, and so it was surprising when I started really opening up, uh, and Carrie, who was the, one of the editors for my body green at the time, she's really the one that started pushing me to write about my life because everything else was like vain. Like, you know, you don't need to do X, Y, Z to get X, Y, Z, right? Like it was just all basic, you know, health and wellness stuff. It, it wasn't really talking about why it was important and, and how I got to it. Um, so being able to write that speech really, you know, it really showed me that people did care. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that there was a level of relatability, uh, regardless of my upbringing, you know, that we had as human beings and, and that I had the ability, uh, to tap into that. And, and, and that's what it did for me. And the, the subtitle of your memoir is a memoir of addiction and redemption through wellness. And, yeah. and you are a wellness expert. And I'm, I'm curious what it's like being a black man in the wellness world that is saturated primarily with white women. And I, I know that you wrote a, a very 
poignant, amazing Instagram open letter to the, the white women of the wellness community on your Instagram that you're going to share with us. But I just, before you read that, I just, what is it like? I mean, uh, I, 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 I mean, it, it's, it has its challenges, um, to say the least, right? Because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up against, you know, people who don't share, you know, the same lived experience that I do, you know, um, who, you know, they don't, they didn't come to wellness because of, you know, a, a life or death situation. They came to it, you know, because they had the means to, you know, to go to an exclusive yoga studio or, you know, a, a, an expensive gym, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, I mean, th there's so many stories of people that I've read and it's like, oh, you know, I, now I drink green juice and coconut water and I meditate three times a day because I had a thyroid issue. It's like, like, really, you know, like I, I, I grew up like, you know, like I couldn't sleep at night because people were being shot outside of my door. Right. And you're, and you're talking about your thyroid issue as if these things are the same, you know? And, and I think, you know, the biggest challenge for me was because I had such a different story, you know, um, people didn't really know how to take me. They didn't know how to, you know, to promote me. They didn't know how to support me. Like it was, you know, it's really challenging because it's like, well, wait a minute, this guy, you know, he might be a little dangerous. Like we, you know, we, we don't want to welcome him into our spaces because we don't know what he's capable of. You know what I mean? It's like the, the, the stereotype of what PTSD looks like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Where people like automatically assume that you're just going to have a flashback and all of a sudden kill everybody in the room, you know? And it's like, well, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm looking for this space. I'm, I'm looking for this community right? To help me in my healing process. Like I'm not looking at it to get a hundred million Instagram followers. Like I'm looking at it to get support for my humanity, for my humanness, right? Because I'm, I'm broken. I'm, I'm hurt. Uh, and you know, and, and, and the vanity that, that is the wellness world today, you know, really didn't know how to take and accept that, you know? So when we, when we think about where we are in the trajectory of life right now, Right. Where so many people want to be supportive and they want to stand up and have their, you know, their protest signs and taking fucking pictures, you know, uh, you know, while they're out protesting, which completely defeats the purpose of what the protest is about in the first place. Right. Like it's it's disheartening and it's challenging because it's just reminding me how much people just don't know uh, and don't recognize about the black experience. What when you when you step into wellness yoga spaces, uh, even watching the Revitalize speech in 2015, noticing the camera panning around and it being a predominantly white space, what do you have to, what goes through your mind? What do you prepare yourself for? I've, um, I've, I've kind of become accustomed to being in spaces where I'm, I'm the difference, right? Like where I'm different. Uh, you know, growing up, I went to schools that were dominated primarily by white people, you know, so, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been used to um, really showing up and and, uh, and 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 finding that space of relatability. Right. And regardless of, of, of race, gender or, or, or anything else. Um, so when I step on stage at Revitalize or in a yoga studio, I'm just stepping in there to be myself. And, you know, uh, people are going to love me or they're going to hate me. And, you know, either way, you know, I, it, it really doesn't matter. Right. 
Um, I mean, if, if, if people choose to, to look at me as a person um, and, and, and identify who I am and why I am, uh, then great. We have, a, we have an opportunity you know, for relationship. Uh, and if they choose to look at me differently, which has happened in yoga spaces where, you know, I've gone to a yoga studio in New York City and, you know, everybody in the studio moved all of their belongings to the other side. And I was left to practice by myself. Right. Like in like a small section of the studio, because everyone else, you know, who was white and able bodied and privileged and, and wealthy. Right. Didn't feel like I belonged. Granted, this was the day after I completed my 200 hour teacher training. You know, so, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just used to existing in the in these spaces um, where other people either look at me as if I don't belong. But what's interesting and what's empowering to me is that regardless of how a person views me or looks at me, the fact that we're in the same place shows my equality. It shows my value. It shows that regardless of what you've gone through and what your privilege is and what my oppression might be, the fact that we're in the same place together makes us equal. Mm. And that's what I hold firm in. And I, I really like what you said earlier that you said, you know, the vanity that is the wellness world. I think that's a very perfect way of especially enca- encapsulating when you, it. Sorry, just a point that I wanted to add, especially when, as Quentin, you just pointed out, it's almost now the vanity of the protests. Like there's a vanity mm. yes. in how, you know, and a, a lot of what people and, and perhaps even us included are trying to leverage the protests in, in the moment, you know, and we have all phrases for this, right? Like virtue signaling and, and moral high horsing and all of those different things. But, but I imagine also just to give the mic back to you, Catherine, just the vanity of the, of the wellness world. I'm assuming those things are parallel as well. Yeah. I think it, it does run parallel to what is happening what has always been happening, but specifically right now. But, you know, Quentin, I know that you you used to work at Yoga Alliance. And I was just wondering from your experience within the wellness world, with your experience when you worked at Yoga Alliance, like, what did you, did you see anything happening, like actually progress being made on making the wellness world a more inclusive space for BIPOCs, like at all? I mean, or was it, did you know what I mean? Like, or is progress or being made or is it service? just something that's kind of floating around like this idea of like, yeah, we're working on being more inclusive, but they're working on their sentences more than their actions, <laughs> you know? I mean, I think, I think unanimously, you know, all across the, 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 the yoga and wellness landscape, right? Like there's a, there's a pervasive um, amount of talks and intentions, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's, you know, intending to do, you know, uh, to be more equitable. They're intending to, you know, stand firm in the face of inequity and fight against it, right? Everyone's intending to do it, but no, I, I don't see a lot of execution, um, you know, and, and even the greatest intentions, you know, with improper execution or limited execution, right, or, or none at all, right, is just as problematic as the things we're fighting against, right? So it's like, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of talk, right? I see a lot of pictures, I see a lot of posts. I don't see a lot of action. Mm-hmm. And like that's been that's been the, the 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 most prevalent thing that I've seen in 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 this in this landscape for quite some time. You know, um and and interestingly enough, it's becoming more pervasive, right? The talking and the 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 pictures and the following, right? And and I'm still seeing limited action from a lot of people. 
Like it doesn't, that's not for everyone, right? There are certain people that have stood firm in their positions and have sacrificed and risked, you know, their own privilege and livelihood, um, you know, to, to, to go against the system. Um, but that's very few and far in between. Well, speaking of it and not being for everyone, like, so we had the, the blackout Tuesday, right? Where, mm-hmm. And I've noticed, and I know you noticed, <laughs> that there were a lot of wellness people who, if you look at their page, the only thing that they've posted that has had anything to do with BLM or anything that's been going on is that freaking black post, just yep. the blackout photo, and then the hashtag Blackout Tuesday. No words, yep. no actions, no sentiments. And then nope. most of them have gone back to their regularly programmed, highly curated, glossy squares. Yep. Um and I don't think we need to discuss why that's wrong. I think that is obvious, but I would, I would really love for you to read to our listeners the open letter that you wrote to the wellness community, because I think everybody needs to hear that and really let that marinate. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Because I, um, before I read it, just to give a little context, like this was a conversation that my wife and I were having the night before. And, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm you know, my wife is white. You know, uh, so she, you know, she she asks a lot of questions and, you know, is curious as to, you know, how I'm feeling about all of the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's often my springboard. Right. The person that I'm like, just just letting out how I feel. And in that morning when I wrote it, because this t- this post took me about an hour or so to write because I was just so frustrated and so disheartened uh, and, and so angry. Um, at, you know, just the, 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 the level of, of, of how disingenuous people really are, right. And how like social activism and social justice has become the new Louis Vuitton bag of, <laughs> of the social media landscape, you know, and I was talking to her and, and I was just like me talking to you, like as much as it makes me feel better, it doesn't do anything to change it. It's not a call to action. So I need to put this out there. And I'm and I've never been one, you know me personally, Catherine. Like I've never been one to like call anybody out, you know, mm-hmm. or, or you know, I've always been somebody that's like, you know, been proud. I've, I've prided myself on being a connector. I've prided myself on always seeing the optimism, you know, on on like, okay, like this is messed up, but like what can we take out of this and how can we come become better as a result of it? And it was just like I didn't see that. Uh, anymore. I, I didn't see the, the optimism in that. Like all I saw, you know, was just how fake and fraudulent everything and everyone was um, and, and decided to call it out. So um, it says, dear yoga wellness community, I have held off and kept my mouth shut from speaking on this for quite a while now, but I can no longer remain silent. My work has always been dedicated to connecting, to bringing people together through the humanity that unites us, regardless of race, religion, gender, etc but I am tired of this. It is sickening to me that there are so many non-POCs in the yoga wellness space who are now all of a sudden posting quotes and sharing messages about how much they stand with, support, and love Black people. I know there are some who have always showed love and support. You know who you are, and I appreciate you, but you are the minority. Myself, along with countless others, have fought for racial equity in and beyond the yoga space for years and didn't get any support from most of you. Those standing in solidarity with those who were affected by the racism that is so pervasive in this country. My fight for racial equity was constantly being challenged and compared to women's rights, white women's rights, white women's rights in yoga, to be clear and specific, by a few of the people I see posting online now. 
Need I remind you that the struggles of white women will never be comparable to those of black women. Black people have been fighting for equal rights, education, resources, treatment, defense, employment, and simply the right to be treated as humans for hundreds of years in this country. And only now do we have your support. Now you want to acknowledge your privilege? Why now? Where was your support before there were videos online showing the brutality, abuse, mistreatment, harassment, discrimination, unlawful imprisonment, and murder of unarmed Black people by police? Just because you see it now doesn't mean it hasn't been happening. You knew about it, but turned a blind eye to it. The same way we can't turn off our skin color, you can't turn off your support and your efforts once things go back to normal. A social media post will not change the conditions that we as Black people face daily. It takes constant, intentional effort. I ask you, what are you truly willing to sacrifice for the lives of those you claim to love and support? Hmm. So, well, Quentin, if you could just elaborate on one point, Nick, because I thought it was really such a strong point, is when you were saying that your fight within the wellness world is always being compared to women's rights. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you can go further on that. Cause I, you know, as, as someone who's done a lot of work in like the LGBT spaces, you, you would often see things like this happening. Whereas in like one marginalization cancels out another, right. Correct. When, without actually having an, a really in, an in-depth discussion about whether or not the systemic issues are the same in both of those regards and all the different layers that come with that. So can you just go even further about within the wellness world, how often gender is seen as a way to almost be like, like they, they negate each other almost, right? Like race and gender. So can you, can you just talk about that more? Yeah. I mean, I guess my, my personal experience was like every time I would, you know, be in a, a meeting or talking to someone at an organization or, you know, in some sort of a panel discussion or, or group discussion privately, and I'm talking about the importance of racial equity, you know, in the yoga landscape, I was always being told, well, 60 years ago, white women couldn't practice yoga. And it's like, well, 200 years ago, white women owned slaves, mm-hmm. right? 60, 60 years ago, black women were being experimented on, right? It's, it's, it's written in the medical apartheid by Harriet Washington, right? Like, but 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 because you know there it's like whenever someone is challenged or faced with the realities of this country they always have to and and I've only seen and I've primarily seen this with white women like there's a desire to say I'm a victim too mm-hmm. right and my victimization is equal to your victimization because how because I'm saddened by it right, right. but it's like Yes, I get it. You know, I'm not saying that white women or or women in general, right, haven't had their fair share of struggles, right? We see black women primarily, you know, on the front lines fighting for this racial equity, you know, fighting for racial justice, social justice. Like we, we see this on a consistent basis. We've seen, you know, women fighting for gay rights, right? Fighting for gay marriage, right? Fighting just for the, for the privilege of of, 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 of wage equality, right? Like we've seen this, but let's not negate the fact that until we face the issues of race in this country, nothing else mm-hmm. is going to change effectively, sustainably, or adequately. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that is the elephant of every room. That is the elephant of this country, right? Racism 
is as American as apple pie in baseball. And until we face that, every other fight, right, we, we may have small victories, but we'll never have the victory of humanity. One thing we've we've talked about on, on this podcast, because I don't know if I can say predominantly our listeners are in the wellness world, but I would say a good chunk yeah, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Is as as someone who comes from a, a sports background and really wasn't involved in the wellness or yoga world until I met Catherine, I I was always so surprised in the yoga and wellness world how so much went unsaid, right? Like in sports, yeah. it's not always the case, but like if you have a problem with someone, you just, it's like, you're going to go fight it out on the field. You take it like on you the court. Say it, yeah. Cause it's, it is inherently a competitive atmosphere. That doesn't mean there's not like infighting and passive aggressiveness in sports. Of course there is, but it was unlike anything I'd ever seen when I looked at like the wellness and yoga world, because there was love and light. Yeah. Because there was bypassing. so Yeah. And mm. there was, it's just, it was a world in which everyone assumed if they were in it, it was an automatic stamp that they were a good person. Mm. Um, and, and so I, I guess my, my question on all that is on one hand, that makes me concerned that the wellness world can be a, an accomplice and a co-conspirator in helping for racial justice. And on the other hand, it makes me worry that they can't be, I'm not sure if I said can't or can, but right. I'm worried that they, I'm worried that they can't be because they are might already feel that they have that stamp of approval and there's not the kind of work that needs to be done as opposed to in other spaces. But then also I feel like the people who are in that world must, there, there's all, there's so much goodness in it and the people coming with open minds that you assume that maybe they should be able to be accomplices and conspirators. I'm wondering if within that you have any perspective. I mean, I think, I think that there's a, 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 a a deep responsibility and a um, and an ability, right, to to be co-conspirators in this change. I mean, when we talk about health and wellness, right, we're talking about healing, right. Mm-hmm. We're talking about healing trauma. We're talking about you know um, you know uh, healing the 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 wounds of discrimination and of racism, right. So you know, individuals that are in this space and have these tools and these practices, right, which for, for a, a lot of us, you know, especially, you know, people of color in marginalized oppressed communities, like we don't have access to it in the way that everyone else does. Right. So, you know, opening that that door and that space right for our collective healing is important. However. Right. The, the problem that I find with this industry is that it is built on ego. Right. Mm-hmm. And because and I, and I often say you can't teach a person anything if they feel like they know everything. Right. And so the the ego prevents that ability from really, you know, uh, coming to life and taking shape. And I think that's that's the detriment of of where we are right now. Right. That is my greatest discontent, because it's like you have all these tools, you have these practices, you have this belief system. Right. You have all of these things at your disposal that you, you know, claim to be true. Right. You can grab crystals and you can do all of this other stuff. You burn sage and you right, you do all of this, all of this stuff. Right. That claims to help. But you but you can't use them to help yourself. You can't you haven't used them to cleanse away your own ego. Right. And your own arrogance. You know, the yoga space right now is, 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 is very much a guru based. You know, it, it has that guru based mentality. Right. Like. 
So I have to go to this specific teacher for X amount of time. I have to go to India. I have to do all of this extra stuff, right? Just to be uh, said that, just to be told that I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, that's to me is counterproductive, especially as a black person who's been told that I haven't been good enough my entire life. I don't need some up somebody else reminding me of, of, of how inadequate they believe that I am, you know? Um, so I, I feel like we, we do have that possibility, but it's going to take a lot of, uh, it's going to take a, a, a whole lot of humble pie. Um, uh, and, and, um, and a lot of time in self-reflection, which interestingly enough are things that are based and grounded in these wellness practices. Isn't that crazy, Quentin, though? Like you said, and I think a lot of people are going to disagree with me when I say this because, you know, there's the whole like self-care explosion that's been happening recently. And like, how do you take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. And which obviously is just code for like, these are the products that we are going to sell you so you can take care of yourself because it's all based on capitalism. But like you said, there needs to be a lot of self-reflection. And you would think if there was any group of people in the entire freaking world that would be good at self-reflection, it would be the yogis. It would be the wellness yep. world. Because isn't that what we're supposedly doing every single time we step onto a yoga mat? It's supposed mm-hmm. to be this, this, you know, the dharma and the practice and the self-reflection. And yet, you know, there, we talked with an author earlier <clears throat> this season. His name is Will Storr. And he wrote The, the Science of Storytelling. And in his book, he talks about basically, and Kate, you can back me up if I'm saying this wrong, basically that every individual needs to be the hero of their own story, no matter what. And that right, you, that's how our brains work. It's they just will always how fight to make you the hero of your story. And I feel like that's what we're seeing with all this like white fragility and, and especially within the yoga world, you know, you say one thing that isn't quote kind or nice. It's not even mean, right? It's just not nice. And they, you know, wilt in front of you like a calla lily who's been cut for longer than an hour. Like, it's just... What a metaphor. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. But, <laughs> it was probably a little long-winded, <laughs> honestly. But, it, I, and I, I'm not really sure if there's a question here. I'm just kind of talking out loud right now. But I do believe that if the white women, well, white women, period, have so much freaking power that we don't use. But I, I also feel like within the wellness industry, if the white women would actually do real self-reflection instead of the kind, you know, that involves crystals and saging and moon cycles, which don't get me wrong, I have lots of crystals. I love sage and I follow the moon cycles. But like people were really willing to do the work and look past their own ego into the experience of the world. That's where the change is going to come from. And that's not just sitting there like doing a meditation that is the self-reflection right. and like listening. And yep. And stopping with the, the, the defensiveness, you know, and stepping into a place of discomfort, right? Yes. Because isn't that isn't that what yoga is about too? Right? That's what it's, it's, it's supposed it teach, to be, <laughs> right? It teaches us how to find comfort in moments of being uncomfortable. Yet, as soon as you make a person uncomfortable in conversation, they want to retreat and become defensive. And yet, they can hold Virabhadrasana too for like three minutes and call it a day. Exactly, yeah. right? And feel accomplished. So, how when you put up that post, and I think it's maybe been a, like 10 days or yeah so. yeah what was the response like from that i'm assuming you got a lot of dms too from that i i, I got a crap ton of dms and I, and I got a lot of dms from people from influencers in the in the wellness space that i've never met before people that I've, i didn't know existed 
you know, uh, people who I've, I've never spoken to, who, you know, have never commented on a post or, or, or even read an article, right, um, saying how apologetic they were that it's taken them so long and how they were standing with me and how, you know, they saw me and they felt me um, and, and, and how they wouldn't disappoint me and all of those things. And it's like, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. Right? This isn't about me at all. I didn't put this on. I didn't put that post out to, to make it about me. If that was the case, you know, like I could have shifted a lot of those words, you know, um, this was about you. Like this was about them. This is about everyone else. Right. This wasn't, I don't need your promises. Like I need, I need your actions. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, um, so, so it's, it was, it was very interesting because it's like, you know, to, to one degree, you know, people were like, Thank you so much for calling me out. I, I have to do better. But the one thing that that was missing in a lot of those statements was how. Mm-hmm. Like there were no questions. There were promises. There were empty promises made. There was no inquisition. No one inquired about like, so what do I need to do? Can we talk more? You know, um, I got a lot of people that I know personally, you know, yourself included, reaching out like, yo, are you OK? Like, how's how are you? Right. And and that didn't strike me as a surprise because you do that all the time. Like that's not a that's not something that happens when the world is in an uproar, right? Um, so it was just it was just a very interesting dynamic that you know um, individuals who had known nothing about me, who never supported my work, uh, who didn't even know what my work consisted of, was all of a sudden making promises to me. It's been striking me just listening to you about how much how how much trust is lost mm. how much trust we've lost and and i just mean in general as a society because i think even in these last couple of weeks i've found myself feeling like i want the black people in my life to trust me more mm. and yet i also know deep down that like i can't build I don't know if I've lost it. Right. I, I don't want to be the person who's reaching out and being like, you like me, right. I'm not one of those white people, like I, <laughs> but I, I see so many people around me and maybe I'm doing this too, thinking that they can repair this broken trust in like 48 hours. Yeah. Right. Instead. And, and like, because that will make me feel better. Right. It'll make me feel better if everyone in my life tells me that like, I'm not one of the, pro- the people the, of the problem. And then that, then I feel better by that instead of thinking, okay, it's not about me. I have to, I can't earn trust in 48 hours. I have to actually prove it over a long stretch of time. But I don't know that I I, I get concerned that we as a society don't have the capacity sometimes anymore to like, to sit for long stretches of time in discomfort, or maybe we, we never have. There's no question in here, by the way. I'm well, just I, ruminating. I, I want to follow up on that because I think what I've realized lately, um, do, Quentin, do you follow uh, uh, Sonia Renee Taylor, the black educator? I don't. She, she's really blown my mind. I've been following a lot of her teachings. And I, I think like to follow up on what Kate was saying, of that, and I think what a lot of white people are feeling right now is like, oh my God, I don't want to be part of the problem. Have I been part of the problem? And I think the the real truth is we are part of the problem and we've always been part of the problem. And everyone who's white needs to just say that out loud and recognize that we are all part of the problem. And Sonia very succinctly 
taught me or woke it up in me that it, it's not about centering blackness. It's about centering whiteness. Wait, you wait are you, what do you mean by that? I'm going to explain. Okay. It, it's, it, she's saying that what we need to do is we need to stop being like sympathetic or like reaching out, uh, not, I mean, do reach out, but it's not about like checking in with our black friends and being like, Oh my God, it must be so hard. I want to understand. And that we need to flip it and be like, what have we been so complacent in with our whiteness that this is created the world that we live in? Right. What is, what is the sickness that the sickness is that is whiteness, whiteness that has allowed this to go on for and 400 yeah, years? And it's not saying that like, you're a shitty person, you're a shitty person, you're a shitty person. That's not the point. Like, obviously there are a lot of really good white people, but just what we have benefited from the skin that we wear on our bodies every single day and recognizing that that has been part of the problem. And that is, man, I mean, like the, the conversations that we've been having with people, that's a really hard pill for a lot of white I mean, people I, to swallow. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it goes back to understanding like what racism is, you know, like, uh, you know, I've, I've been in conversations with white people, you know, I, I, I was in Jersey not too long ago. Um, and I went to a dinner and this white woman, you know, came in with a black boyfriend and we started talking and she was talking about racism and how she wasn't racist. And I was like, look, just because you have a black boyfriend doesn't mean you're not racist. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like racism isn't a choice. Racism is a system. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, you know, unless you are actively working against it, then you are um, passively moving toward it. You are passively mm-hmm. upholding it whether you see it or not, right? Like just because you don't see something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So like racism or anti-racism, just like love is an action word. It's not something that you can just believe to be true and say, this is what I want to happen. Like you have to actively do it every single day, right? And the, and the, the day that you stop showing love to your wife, right? Is the day, you know, that your wife may stop feeling loved. So it's like it, it has to be a consistent, intentional part of your everyday life. It's not just about like, let's center black voices. Right. It's like, that's great. That's cool for the right now. Right. For the voiceless to be heard. Right. But it's like, like you say, Catherine, what are you doing as white people? Right. To understand the levels of privilege that you have. Right. And, and, and what are you doing to to shift that? so that we can all have equal privileges and equal rights. That's what it's about. And not being so sensitive and caught up, you know, in, in the fact that like, I'm not racist cause I have a black friend. Right. I, I've, I've got to repeat what you just said because it was so good and I want everyone to write this down or just let it sink in. You just said, if you're not actively against racism, you're passively moving towards it. Absolutely. That is beautiful. I mean, beautiful might not be the right word, but that is that's a powerful a idea description. that yeah. people need to understand. All right, before we wrap things up, I did. A, I wanted to know about your your book, Quentin. In in the years since it has come out, and especially what's going on right now, is do you think if you wrote another book now, like? What would be different about it? It would be called Anxiety Free Home, actually. <laughs> there we go. Can you talk to me about that? Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that that's... That's the book uh, that's know, coming out. That's, that's the book I'm working on. Um, you know, it's uh, Anxiety Free Home. 
And, and it's, and it's talking about, you know, how do you create an anxiety free space internally, um, that matches your external expectations, wants and desires. You know, we often look at home as being one thing or another, right? It's a place where we put up furniture and we watch TV and we make our dinners and, you know, we congregate, right? But home uh, exists everywhere we go. It exists in everything that we do, everything we believe, everything that we say, right? And, and when it comes down to anxiety, right, we're in a place in this world right now you know, whether because of the the uprising from, you know, from, from racial injustice uh, to COVID-19, which we don't hear much about anymore. Um, it's crazy. You know, um, everyone is in a state of anxiety, right? But it's also understanding what is anxiety? Like, what is it really, right? Anxiety has been such a blanketed term that everyone believes that they have it all the time, right? And there's a difference between acute anxiety and chronic anxiety, and then there's a difference between anxiety disorders. There's a difference between environmental anxiety and biological anxiety, you know. Um, and, and so I'm breaking down like the differences in all of these things so that we can really come back together and connect to our humanity. Right. Because trauma, um, although we all experience it, people of color live it differently. Right. It's something that is is bred within us. Right. It's something that's passed down from generation to generation. Um, and it's really finding a way I'm, I'm writing about it to find a way for us to heal collectively, you know, um, yeah. to understand where those differences lie and reside. Right. But, it, it, you know, if we if we if we didn't live in a world that constantly perpetuated our differences, then we would live in a world that, you know, w- where we could understand our similarities. You know, if privilege wasn't a thing, if 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 skin color and discrimination and segregation were never things, right? And we were we were purely seen by the basis of our character, right? And the actions and the values and the morals that we hold true, right? Then we would see that we have a lot more in common than we have different. And the unfortunate part is that because we are living in a world and have lived in a world uh, in a society that has you know has 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 benefited one. And, and oppress the other, right? Like we have to call to attention what those differences are before we can start focusing on those similarities, right? And, and, and that humanness that exists within all of us. Um, so, you know, really the, the, my, my, my new book that I'm working on is, is finding that balance, right? Where, um, where, where we're holding one another accountable for the roles that we play in living an anxiety-free lifestyle. And, and to be anxiety free is also to be void of consistent segregation, consistent demonization, dehumanization, criminalization uh, and, 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 and the murder uh, of an entire population and generation uh, and race of individuals um, for absolutely no reason. And I, I know you might not really be able to answer this, but do you kind of have a ballpark idea of when you think this is going to drop? I, I wish I did. Yeah. We're still we're still in the process in of, that beginning. Uh, of, yeah. Yep. We're, yeah. we're looking at publishers and, you know, talking to people and, you know, going through that whole process. Um, and, 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 and at the same time, I'm also, you know, conceptualizing a, a third book, um, which which would speak more uh, directly to the issues of, of racial injustice and racism in this country. Well, I'm glad you're going to be keeping busy with those books and everybody can follow you on social so they can get updates when the we've got more like pub dates and all that stuff coming out. 
But um, we we always like to wrap this up with some kind of quick fire author questions. So okay. are you ready? Uh-oh. <laughs> it's, don't worry, it's not too bad. Um, Quinn, what was the last book you read? The last book I read was The Alchemist. You love Ooh. that book, don't you? That's the book that you shared I, with the Inky Phoenix. Yep, that, I, that's the book that I go back to. How many times um, have you read that book? About six. Yeah, I need to go back because and it's a, read it. That, that book is a reminder, right, that no matter what the challenges we face in life, right, we have everything that we need right where we are. Right? And, and, and with this fight right now, it's like we often like I know for myself, I can't speak for everybody else, but it's like I often feel hopeless and feel like I have to do more. I have to say more. I have to be more vocal. I have to touch more people. I have to do all of these things. Right. And then and, and, and when you have the idea of doing something great, you're often going to be met with opposition. Right. But it's 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 in that opposition uh, that we're reminded that we have everything that we need already. Mm. You know, um, and, and, and I think for me personally, as someone with anxiety, as someone with a depressive disorder, you know, and somebody that's in this fight on a day to day basis, I need those reminders. So, yeah, The Alchemist was the last book I read. Well, I feel like this might be the same answer, but favorite book of all time. Is the there... Bible. Oh, OK. There we go. Not the alchemist, the Bible. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, mic drop. There's really nothing else to say about that. Other than, there we go. Okay. That's right. right. That's a good book. People buy that book a lot and they read it. Yes. <laughs> right. It, it just that tends is to be a bestseller. Very popular I'm book. I'm like, oh. Okay. <laughs> Although it never tends to make the New York Times bestseller. Right. That's weird. <laughs> they stopped counting like 150 years ago. <laughs> um, I know this is probably an over-asked question, but still, I love it anyway. If there were two authors, dead or alive, that you could just like sit down, have dinner with, and kick it, who would it be, and why? Oh shit! And you can do one too, because I think that question is actually pretty hard. Yeah, let's do one. Two is too many. It's already tough enough. I feel like two one. at least you can like choose them for different reasons. Right. But... <laughs> dead or alive? Hmm. One, well, this is interesting because my second favorite book of all time is the autobiography of Malcolm X. Right. Okay. And it was, and, and it was, it was, it was written by Alex Haley. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was, it was written by him as told to him from Malcolm. So I would technically consider Malcolm to be an author. Mm-hmm. And um, he is one of my greatest inspirations of all time. So I would have to say having the ability to sit down and converse and be in dialogue with Malcolm X would be uh, a dream. Amazing. And then, okay, the most important question, Quentin, are you ready? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal raisin? Oh, man. (laughs) No Um, no one's said oatmeal raisin in a while. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Right, Kate's already pouting. No she just crossed her arms and she just like I know rounded the, her back. I know the oatmeal raisin people. They jump up right away and they say oatmeal raisin. They don't have <laughs> to see, deliberate. But see, this is the thing, right? Because like for me, it depends on my, I, I love them both equally. Oh, okay. It depends on my mood. Okay. Right? Like oatmeal raisin is my go-to if they're made <gasps> correctly yes that's right that's right not the party platter not that they got to be made solid they have to be made solid yes absolutely (laughs) you know fresh ingredients i want chunks of oatmeal like i want to i want the i want to feel it brown sugar forward yes 100 percent gotta 
Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, chocolate chip has the aroma, right? When you put them in the oven, mm. that changes your life. That is so you know? true. So it's like, if I smell a chocolate chip cookie, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the chocolate chip cookie, <laughs> even if I'm desiring an oatmeal raisin. Mm. Wait, you have answered, I think you've given the best response to this I question. appreciate this because it's well thought out. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so, for, for taking it to the next level. <laughs> I, 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 you know, that's my Virgo brain. You know, I, I can't help it. <laughs> All right. We love you so much. Thank you for taking the time to come talk with us. I love you so much. Thank you for Thanks, the opportunity. Quentin. We'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds good. Right, bye. bye. That'll do it for today's show. And if you would like to hear more from Quentin, because we ran out of time, you can check out the Instagram live that Quentin and I are doing on both of our pages. So it's at Catherine Budig or at Quentin Vinny. And we are going to be going into detail about anxiety, uh, something that I struggle with, something that Quentin has struggled with, as he talks about on this episode. And he's going to give us pointers and, and tips for how to manage your anxiety. What day are you guys doing that? That is the same day as this show. So if you were listening to the show, it is happening on Thursday at noon Eastern time. And if you are like binging this show, it's already happened and it might be up on my page, but it turns out like when it comes to IG live and Wi-Fi, I just never really know what's going to happen. So my goal is to save it and keep it on the page, but that's up to the Instagram gods. So try to make it live. But our producer always saves our shows and uploads them properly. That's true. Free cookies. The show will exist forever. (laughs) IG live. Who knows? And that show is produced. By Lindsay Collins. To Lindsay Collins, who always uploads our shows properly and edits them to Regardless AT. of her Wi-Fi. Regardless She'll do of it her Wi-Fi. Off of her phone's 4G if she has to. Instagram, you should be more like Lindsay Collins. Uh, you can find us. You can find us on Instagram. Oh, damn it. You can find us at, at Gmail at Free Cookies Podcast. You can find Catherine's book club, The Inky Phoenix, with some brand new artwork now as her avatar. Yes. You go over there and check it out, but you can't check it out unless you follow the page. That's how that works. That is correct. Oh, and please, if you enjoyed this show and it is in within your financial means to be a patron of our show, that is very helpful for us. And you can support our show through patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Another thing that helps us if you don't have the monthly resources to become a patron member is rating and reviewing the show. That's true. On Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, because then the algorithm gods, which are similar to the Wi-Fi gods. Similar to the Instagram gods. And similar, they're all part of the new age gods called the capitalist gods. Which we will be studying a couple hundred years from now. It'll be like Greek, Roman, Norse, and capitalist gods. One of them will be the Apple podcast podcast god. Catherine, have you found a review to tell the people? I have, actually. I just want to give a big shout out to Leslie. No, wait. Hold on. De Leslie Lesmond. Oh, that's tricky. Is she straight? I don't know that she's straight. De Leslie Lesmond. There's just a lot of les in there. (laughs) Thank you to Leslie Lesmond. And thank you, Chris J408, for being straightforward and giving us a five-star review. Just boom, five-star review. 
No, everyone is saying lots of nice things. Oh, I didn't know if, the, the, if Chris J, just five star, no words, just let the stars speak for themselves. Oh, I just mean that it was easier for me to say than de Leslie Lesmont. Although now that I'm saying it, I like the way it rolls around. De Leslie Lesmont. Leslie Lesmond. That could be a good character in like a foreign movie. De Leslie Lesmond. Mm. And she's de- you agree, she's definitely not straight, right? I don't not know. Not this person in real life, but the character in our movie. We don't know if this is movie. a he, we don't know if this is a she. We don't know how I guess this I got, person I guess identifies. I, got, I guess I got wrapped up in Leslie. Yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is where the good stuff of the show happens, though. This is. I mean, if you're one of the seven people tuning in right now, you'll realize that this is where the gold is. Should we sign off now, or should we see if there's anything else fun that's going to come up in these last few seconds, Catherine? Oh, is this where we give away the $10,000? You know, I feel like I have run that joke into the ground. $20,000. That's true. It becomes more funnier if you add more money. But you can't add so much money that it's ridiculous. You know, like if I'm like, it's, we give away a million. That's absurd. I think Ashi the asshole is telling us to wrap it. Okay. <laughs> That'll do it. Thanks, y'all. Bye.